Well, good morning again, everybody. Wow, you're not very awake. That's all right. Me neither. Hey, let's, let's all just take a nap. It's, you know, <laughs> just kidding. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Jason. Um, I am the youth pastor here. I'm an associate pastor here. And so if you're new, um, welcome. We are really glad that you're here. Tim, the guy that was leading worship, he's our normal, our, our lead pastor, the normal speaker. And so I would encourage you to keep coming back if you're trying us out um, to kind of get a feel for how we do things on a regular basis because I'm not regular. I do weird stuff, and I am, and I'm, yeah, I'm different. So, um, we're we're starting this new series. We're calling it Beyond Christmas, and the idea is um, we really want to connect with this idea that uh, that there. Let me just be honest. There are people who feel satisfied coming to church just a couple times a year. And we would love it if people would engage a little bit beyond that, beyond Christmas, beyond Easter, beyond some of the high points in the calendar. And so that's our goal for this series. But the, the purpose behind it really is to give some, some practical, useful tools and answer questions like, what, what if I actually engaged with Jesus on a deeper level? Would that make a difference in my life? Would it be worth it for me to come to church more often? Would it be worth it for me to be more engaged, more involved? That's the direction that we're going today. And so uh, before we do, I want to tell you guys a story. How many of you guys like camping? Oh, a lot more people on Sundays like camping than Saturdays. <laughs> the Saturday people are lame. Hey, <laughs> no. So <laughs> I, I have to admit, I, I say I like camping. I used to like camping. Does anybody under, like know where I'm at with that? Like there was a time in your life when camping was a big deal and you loved it. And so you still raise your hand, but the reality is it's been a while, right? Um, so for me, it's been a while since I've been camping. But I remember this camping trip that my family and I went on whenever I was a kid. Um, I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. Uh, I'm sure I'll find out after service because all of my stories are probably uh, wrong and my parents correct me afterwards. But um, when I say my family and I went on a, a camping trip, uh, you have to understand that I'm an only child, which explains a bunch. If you know me personally, like you can chalk a lot of things up to just being an only child. So uh, we went on this, this camping trip, but realized there's just three of us. And the plan was, if you've ever been up on the Grand Mesa, um, there's this big lake. It's called Island Lake. And obviously named because there's an island out in the middle of it. And our plan was to take a little boat out to the island and set up a tent and camp on the island. Like this really cool idea, right? Especially for a 10-year-old. Like I'm just imagining this water fortress fort, you know, that I've got out there. And it's going to be this amazing moment. And, and I think what was really exciting for my dad was we had just recently gotten this boat. And, and it was like a canoe, but it was called a skanoe. And I think the only real difference is they chopped off the back end of it and put a transom on there so that you could put a trolling motor on it. So imagine a canoe with a trolling motor. That's our boat, right? And so we're headed out into, this, uh, into the island lake, and we're headed out to the, the island to, uh, to set up camp. And then uh, a storm comes out. How many of you guys have ever been camping and a storm came in? Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily the same people that said I like camping, right? Yeah. All right, so a storm comes up, and what's interesting, you know, you, if you've been out camping in the woods, especially in Colorado, we have a, at a high elevation, storms can approach quickly, right? And when they come, the weather can change dramatically because you're at this elevation where temperatures change and, and um, storms are more severe. And so at 10,000 feet, we're out on this island, or we're about to be out on this island, and the storm starts rolling in, and we decide we're going to do it anyways. And so we go out there, and, and as this storm rolls in, it starts to rain and hail, which is normal up on the Mesa. But, and I think everywhere in the country says something like this, but if you don't like the weather, just wait 10 minutes, right? It'll go, it'll go away. And that's how we feel in Colorado, that like, you can wait it out. And so we just decided we were gonna like hunker down under a tree or something and wait it out. And it, and it didn't stop. And so I think, and this is vague memory, I remember we started to set up the tent, okay? And I'm assuming it was because it'd be better to be in a tent than under a tree when it's raining, right? And so we start to set up the tent, but before the tent got all the way set up, like lightning struck. Like, I'm assuming the lake, somewhere really, really close, because as a 10-year-old, I was terrified, and then I look at my dad, and as a, an adult, he was terrified, <laughs> right? You guys ever been near uh, that kind of a storm? The kind that's a little bit more severe, that it's not like you're out mowing the lawn and it rains and you go in for a while, right? Like we, and the problem was, we were stuck out on this island. So we're out in the middle of the lake, and now we've decided, I don't think camping's a good idea, 
right? I don't think we should even be out here. And so we had to pack up everything in a hurry, and the storm's getting worse, and there's, there's lightning and wind and hail, and then we have to navigate our way back across the water in this little scanoo with a boat, right? Or with a, I'm sorry, with a, with a motor. And so you, if, I don't know if you've ever been in a canoe. Not a really stable vessel, right? And so we finally, we make it back over there, but we had to cross white caps to get there. And, and really, up on the mesa, what I mean is like the, there's like the six-inch wave <laughs> breaking. And to be honest with you, that felt like a really big deal, right? And what's interesting is that storms come up so fast that they catch us off guard. And how true is that in our life as well, right? That there are storms in our life that come up quickly, and they catch us off guard. And just like being a 10-year-old in the woods on a lake, they can be scary, The storms in our life can come up so quickly that they're overwhelming, too. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about something in particular. And I need to be kind of honest right up front. Okay, so what we're going to talk about is anxiety and depression today. And what I want to be honest about is the reality that that's a common struggle. You either deal with it or you love somebody that deals with it. And I don't care if you are a a churchgoer or not. If you're here checking us out for the first time and you'd say, I'm not really sure about Jesus and the Bible, or if you've been coming for a long time, the reality is that depression and anxiety affect all of us in one way or another. And what you need to hear, and somebody needs to say it, right? Because I feel like um, there's this misconception. Christians get depressed too. Pastors get depressed too. Pastor's wives get depressed. The children's ministry people that you interact with on Sundays. Nobody's above this sense of being overwhelmed, anxious, and sad. Right? Now, some people deal with it, um, and it's a, a long, seasonal struggle. And for some people, it's momentary. Right? But we all either deal with it or we know somebody that does. And so there's this common struggle among us, and it's often fed, or it starts with a storm, doesn't it? There's something comes up in life, and it could be financial, it could be relational, it could be job-related, it could be uh, a season in life where things have changed, and there's a sense of fear or loss, and then suddenly we feel hopeless, or alone, or we feel like there's no end in sight, right? Or maybe we feel like there's no answers. That one's hard, too, when you're just sort of experiencing life storms and you just don't have an answer to what, how do I deal with this? Or you're empty. Or sometimes it's just because we're hurt. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of storms that feed this sense of anxiety and depression. And what I want to talk about today is, I believe that anxiety, depression, fear, basically mental health things, the things that we struggle with within our emotions are a lot like the violence of a storm. And we feel out of control, like being on the water in a storm. When wave after wave hits. And you know what? There's, there's this thing, when you're dealing with sadness or you're dealing with fear or anger or pain, it's usually not the first wave that's so hard. It's the fourth wave, the fifth wave. It's the tenth wave that just beats you up wave after wave. And you don't even feel like you're floating anymore. You're starting to drown and you're hopeless. And so let me ask you guys a question. How has what you've been doing been working for you? Now, again, you you might be a believer and you might have some tools uh, and and I wonder how how that's working for you. And maybe you're just checking out church and you really don't know what we have to offer here, and so you've had your own ways of dealing with things. And, and maybe, maybe it's like, I just have to put more effort in. I just have to try harder in life, right? I have to paddle harder in the storm. Maybe that's your plan, right? Or maybe you just ignore problems. I know a lot of people, myself included, tend to back away from the things in life that hurt and just ignore it. Isolate yourself. Maybe you medicate yourself. Maybe you have had a doctor help you medicate yourself. How's that working for you? What I want to talk about today is this, uh, there's a story that I want us to go through in the Bible. 
okay? And in a moment, we're going to turn to to Matthew chapter 14. Before we get to this story, though, what I want you to know is that this story follows another one. And so there's some context to what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about a storm. We're going to talk about anxiety and depression through a storm in the Bible, okay? Now, in Matthew 14, um, we're going to read this story about a storm, but it happens right after Jesus does something amazing, probably his most famous miracle. He feeds 5,000 people, right? Now, if you don't know the story about that one, he basically takes a Lunchable and he turns it into a feast for a crowd of people, right? I mean, we're talking this one little boy's lunch, and it's, it's like two sardines and some bread, and it's really not a lot of food, and he feeds as much as 20,000 people. Now, it says 5,000, and it, and it says 5,000 men, and then the women and the children that were with them, right? So think, um, think the, the baseball stadium at Lincoln Park, that many people, right? That many seats, and, and there's all of this whole crowd of people, and Jesus is like, well, what resources do we have? And some kid's like, I got lunch. (laughs) And Jesus makes it work. And it's such a cool moment because the disciples get to participate in this miracle because at the end, they're the ones collecting all the scraps, right? And they're like, I saw what you started with, and I've got a basket full, and so do all of my 11 friends, right? So they get to experience this, and then there's a problem, they like to, the, the crowd likes to eat. Raise your hand if you like to eat. The rest of you guys are too weak to raise your hand because you haven't eaten lately. <laughs> we all like food, don't we? Like food's a big deal. And so you can imagine he takes this Lunchable and he turns it into a feast and the crowd goes, hey, he should be king. I like this guy. And so the crowd wants to make Jesus king and see, Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. And so in order to protect his disciples, we read this story. Okay, verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake whilst he sent the people home. Basically, what he does here is he's, he's sending them away so that they don't get caught up in this fervor of trying to make Jesus king, right? He's trying to protect them from that. And so he says, I need you guys to just go ahead of me to the other side of the lake. Verse 23, after sending them home, He went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. All right, so when this says lake, what we're talking about is the Sea of Galilee, all right? And if you look at a map uh, of the Middle East, you're going to realize that every body of water is called a sea. This really is a lake, okay? Five miles wide, 13 miles long. It was a lake. It's a big lake, but it's still a lake, right? Not not an ocean by any means, okay? And so when, when... Jesus sends them out there. Here's what I want you guys to to catch. That Jesus let them get a distance away from him. He sent them out there while he went up on the mountain to recharge, right? He sends the crowd away, and then he goes up into the hills to commune with the Father. And they're out on the water, and he lets them get a long ways away. And I wonder how many of us feel like God is distant sometimes, How many of us feel like God has let us or sent us off on some path and he didn't come with us and we're isolated and we're alone? That's the situation that the disciples find themselves in. Let's go on to verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. And I love this. It starts with meanwhile. Like there's this intentional contrast here and you gotta realize Matthew wrote this and Matthew was on the boat. (laughs) And so I think Matthew remembers how frustrated he was in this moment. Like, well, Jesus is up on the mountain. He gets to pray. He gets to recharge. And meanwhile, we're out in the water, right? And, And in the Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus perceived that they were out on the water straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. And it's as if Jesus said, I need you to go that way, and then the wind goes this way. And I don't know if you've ever been on a big body of water going against the wind. That's not fun, is it? Right? And so you can imagine how they feel. Why are we out here? He's not even with us, right? Why are we in the middle of this lake? And these guys, remember, out of the whole group, who's the fishermen? The disciples are the fishermen. Who knows the water? The disciples know the water. They probably looked out there when he said, I need you to cross the lake, and they probably went, really? 
right now? They probably could see that storm coming, and Jesus says, yeah, I need you to go. And so they get out there, and they're rowing, and I can imagine they're, they're just fighting the wind, and they're like, I can't believe we're out here. This is so stupid. And they were probably frustrated. And it says the disciples were in trouble. How many of you guys have ever been in trouble? And I don't mean the kind of trouble where you got, like, caught, right? Like, you got spanked when you were a kid. I mean the kind of trouble like there's a storm in your life. There's something that has come up against you, and you're in trouble, right? It says that the wind was against them, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, the Sea of Galilee is kind of unique. Um, this body of water is actually below sea level by like six or 700 feet. It's way below sea level in this, this ravine. And so what's interesting is that while the, the water level is so low, the hillsides that surround it go as high as 2,000 feet above that water. And so there's literally two different climates within a short period or a short distance, right? The top of the hillside at night especially is cool and dry, but it's tropical down by the water. It's humid and warm. And that distinction, that the, the geography, the topography, um, and the weather patterns there mean that when a wind comes up in that area, it comes up quickly and it's severe. And the waves in the Sea of Galilee have been known to be six to ten foot tall waves. Now, I'm a six foot tall person. So imagine a wave as tall as me or taller, as high as I can reach. Wave after wave after wave. Now imagine you're not on a cruise ship. You're on a little wooden boat designed to fish. And they're out there with the oars, straining away, right? This, this ship may have been 20, 30 feet long at the most. Hold six, seven people. Might have had a mast, but they're going against the waves or against the wind, right? And so they're just rowing. Now, a couple years ago, I took my family to, to Lake Powell. You guys ever been to Lake Powell or to somewhere? Fun? You ever been somewhere like big body of water on a boat, right? Speed boats are awesome, aren't they? Isn't it fun to get in a boat with some power? Right? And this boat that we went with, it, had, it was a 21-foot boat. It had a 351 Mercruiser motor in it. So it's got this V8. It sounds like a muscle car. right? And it's got all kinds of power. And you want to know what? It's got this really cool feature called a steering wheel. Right? And so you punch the gas, and you get to steer, and it's a pretty amazing experience. And we were having a lot of fun. We were cliff diving. We were jumping off stuff that we probably shouldn't have been jumping off in some random canyon, and we see a storm coming. And so we get on our way back towards camp, and the moment we get out in the main channel, the main body of water, the storm is a lot more severe than we thought it was. And we literally, in a powerboat with a V8 and a steering wheel, had a really hard time navigating three-foot waves. Imagine you're on a wooden boat in the dark with six or ten-foot waves. This is a pretty big deal. And I think that the frustration that they were probably already experiencing probably turned into fear, right? And if we relate this to anxiety and depression in our lives, how many of us would say, it feels like waves sometimes. It feels like big waves sometimes. It feels like I'm straining against the wind sometimes. That it doesn't matter how much effort I put in, I just can't seem to make a difference. I might get over one wave only to be looking another one in the face. And again, it's not the first or second wave that's usually the problem. It's the pounding of the waves, one after another, heavy waves. Verse 25. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him on the water, they were terrified. Like, duh. <laughs> Seriously, right? Like, I've got this dumb thing in my head, and, and uh, if you have ever thought this, um, you're in good company, but it's dumb, all right? So I have always imagined this moment, like Jesus is like a, a Star Wars force ghost, and he's glowing, Right? Do you imagine this where Jesus is like shows up and he's walking out on the water and they see him coming, right? Because he's got some heavenly aura and he's like, oh, and he's just floating on top of the water. And they're like, hey, look at that candle. That's not a candle, that's Jesus, right? No, it was dark. He's a guy. He doesn't light up, right? And so you can imagine they're, they're in this huge swell of water and there's either rain coming down and hitting them in the face or there's water spraying up from the bottom and they're distracted and they're full of fear and, and they're working so hard and suddenly in the darkness, there's a guy standing out in the water. 
Ah! <laughs> I think I'd have peed myself. <laughs> I'm a grown man. That sounds terrifying. Let's keep going. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I'm here. And see, here's, here's the truth about fear. Fear can cause us to do and to say things that we don't mean because it causes us to think and feel things that aren't true. These guys knew Jesus, didn't they? Just a few hours earlier, they're hanging out with him on the mountain. They spend all day, every day with him. And he shows up on the water to meet them at their boat. But because of their fear, they go, ah, it's a ghost. Instead of, hey, Jesus, glad you made it. Right? Like, it just doesn't click in their mind. And it's the fear that has changed the way that they perceive things. And the same thing's true in our life. When storms come up, when hard seasons come, and we're being beaten by the waves of life, Fear can change the way that we see things and make us do and say things we would never have done or said before. Isn't that true? We hurt the people closest to us. We retreat from people that are trying to help. There's all kinds of things that we think make sense in the moment because we're afraid. And I love that Jesus doesn't scold them or laugh at them in this moment. It's not like he shows up and they go, it's a ghost, and he goes, you dummy. It's not a ghost, right? He doesn't do that. He meets them in their fear. And he says, hey, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Take courage. It's just me. It's just me. I'm here. And I think that it's important for us to recognize that we serve a God that meets us in our fear, even when our fear has convinced us that lies are truth. Even when we're not believing rightly in the moment, when we're not acting rightly in the moment, we have a Jesus who would say to us, it's okay, I'm here. Verse 28, and this is where it gets fun. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Stop and think about that for a minute. I don't think this has ever happened again, has it? I don't think it ever happened before. What an amazing moment in the history of humanity. Peter walked on water. It makes sense when we think about Jesus walking on water, right? He's God. Peter's not. And what I think is so interesting about this, when, when you study these boats that they spent time in, these fishing boats, they're actually really similar to the fishing boats that they still have over there today, in order to handle those kind of waves, they had about a five to six foot drop off from the top of the boat to the water. He had to be completely out of the boat before he knew that the water was going to hold him. It wasn't like he got to go, I want to come out there, Jesus, is it cool? Oh, yeah, yeah, that, okay, good, that's solid. He didn't have that opportunity. He had to commit before he knew that the water was going to hold him, he had to be out of the boat. That's trust. When Jesus says, come to me, and Peter jumps five feet down, and instead of splashing into the water, he hits it like it's concrete, and it holds him. That's trust. And what we're going to see here in the next few verses is we're going to see a contrast between Peter and the rest of the guys in the boat. Let's keep reading. Verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. When did the wind stop? When they got back in the boat. When didn't the wind stop? The wind didn't stop when Peter saw Jesus, right? When he first sees him out on the waves and he's like, oh, finally Jesus is here. My problems should go away. That's not when the wind stopped. 
You know what? The wind didn't stop when Peter called to Jesus either, right? When he goes, Lord, if it's really you, let me come out there. And, he, and you can imagine this moment when we say to, to Jesus, like, I trust you. The waves should stop, right? That's not when the waves stopped. It's not when the wind stopped. The wind didn't even stop when Peter got out of the boat. When he put his faith, actual working faith, in the one who could keep him on top of the water, that's not when it got smooth. There were still waves and wind then. Not even when Peter was walking on the water. See, the solution to Peter's fear wasn't for the wind to stop. It was for him to join Jesus on the water. The solution was not for the storm to stop. It was for in the midst of that storm, for Peter to be able to be above it and experience it with Jesus instead of in it, pounded by the waves. And you know what? I've, I've got this story. Um, I, I remember taking my kids to Waterworld in Denver. You guys ever been to a water park? Yeah. You know what my favorite, most horrible part of every water park is? The wave pool. Yeah, I, other people did that last night too. People know ahead of time, they're like, it's the wave pool. Yeah, that's the part that's hard, right? And so it's the truth because here it's really deceptive. If you've ever been to a water park, a, a wave pool, or if you've never been, a, a wave pool is a really big pool, like bigger than this auditorium. And it's deceptive because it's got this really shallow entrance. Where, I mean, like inches at a time as you walk out there, like your ankles are wet, your calves get wet, right? And you work your way out into the water and it's calm, but they've got this machine in the back where it's deep and there's bell sounds and then it starts pumping the water and it creates wave after wave and they come crashing into the shore. And it's a lot of fun. The problem is you get out there about chest deep and you're waiting for the waves and as soon as they start coming, you're not chest deep anymore, right? Because you go up and you go down and you go in and you go out and suddenly when you could touch you can't anymore. And the push and the pull and the motion of the waves suddenly becomes a lot more overwhelming than you thought it was going to be. Now, I remember I said I took my kids. Well, we had a plan um, because we started in the shallow part. And we'd have a lot of fun and we'd get kind of spread out. And the plan was after every cycle, we would just meet back at the towel and figure ourselves out and we'd go back out in the water. Well, one time we got deeper than we thought we were. And I've got little kids with me and we lost Joseph. Okay, we all get back to the towel. We're missing a kid. Okay? And what we found out later was when we finally connected with him, he was out there. He thought he was safe. And right about the time that the waves started coming, all these other people showed up and they had the little floaty things. Right? And so they were on top of the water and he was just trying to tread water but they were all in the same space. And so as the waves started, he'd get tumbled and then would want to get back to the surface and he came up underneath one of them. And then another wave and then up underneath it again. How terrifying that is to be in the waves. How much better it was to be on top, right? The people in the tubes didn't have a problem. There is a big difference being on top of the waves, isn't there? And so Peter's solution wasn't for the waves to stop. It was to be on top of them. And our solution to our fear and our anxiety, our depression, sometimes is not for the situation to change. It's for us to join Jesus in that situation so that we don't experience it the same way. In fact, this reminds me of a joke. And I'm going to try to clean it up, okay? Um, if I offend you, tim at lifegj.org is... <laughs> My email. All right, so. <laughs> now, it's supposed to be a blonde joke. I'm, I'm going to make it a guy joke, okay? So there's these three guys, um, and they love hiking. And so they, they decide they're going to climb this mountain. And the reason that they love to hike, the reason that they climb this mountain is because of the view. They love to see from the mountaintop the, the countryside. And so they climb to the top of this mountain, but they're all alone up there, and they find a genie's lamp. And that's weird, right? And so they rub the lamp, of course. Why not? And pfft, out of it comes this genie. And the genie goes, okay, I know what you're expecting. I'm a different kind of genie. Have you guys ever wanted to fly? And they're like, well, yeah. Can you imagine the view from up there? Can you imagine if we were soaring even above the peak? I'd love to fly. And he goes, here's the deal. You run over to the edge, jump off, and yell out whatever kind of bird you want to be, and you can soar back down to camp. <laughs> 
You ever wanted to fly? And the guy, first guy's like, I do. He just takes off running. He jumps off the edge and he goes, red-tailed hawk. And oh, right? he starts soaring. And the other two guys are looking at him as his feathers gleam in the sunlight. Like, wow, oh, that looks pretty good. And the second guy gets kind of inspired. And so he, he walks over a little bit more, a little bit more timid, but he gets to the edge and he jumps off. And he goes, bald eagle. And poof, suddenly there's two birds in the sky. Now, the third guy, he's kind of, he's like, this is awesome, right? So he takes off running, and right as he gets to the edge, he trips on a rock. Oh, crap! <laughs> Tim at lifegj.org. All right. We have, we have this instinct in us, right? When things are hard, when things are bad, when we trip on a rock, the things that are instinctual come out of our mouth, right? right? I'm sure that if he'd have tripped on a, a rock at home in his driveway, he'd have went, oh, crap, <laughs> and he'd have just been in his driveway, right? It's just the, the thing that comes out of our mouth when, when we're surprised. Those are instincts, and I love Peter's instinct in this moment that he's sinking, As Peter's falling into the water, his instinct is, save me, Lord. That was his instinct, right? It's what comes out of his mouth because he knows I'm standing next to the one who could pull me out. He knows the character of his Jesus so well that when he's thinking, you're my best hope. And you have to understand that this was probably, uh, not probably, it's probably a different sermon. This was a failure on Peter's part. This was a failure of faith. He took his eyes off of Jesus, who he had faith in, and started to see the storm again, get worried, not trust Jesus, and he starts to sink. And in his failure, his instinct is, Lord, save me. I think uh, my instinct might have been different. I think my instinct, being a fisherman, might have been, hey, I know how to get out of the water. I'm going back to the boat, right? I know the thing that normally keeps me afloat, I'm going to start swimming back to isolating myself because suddenly I failed and I'm drowning. I'm going to go back to alcohol again because I don't know how to cope with this and at least I don't have to feel it when I'm drunk. I'm going to go back to the things that I use to cope. I think that would have been my instinct, at least in my, my carnal nature. Right? And as I grow towards Jesus, I hope that that's changing more and more. But I love that Peter knew Jesus so well that his instinct was, you can save me. And Jesus did. Did you notice that Jesus immediately rescued Peter first and then corrected Peter second? That's the God that we serve. A God that when we fail him, when we fail in front of him, he saves first, corrects second, right? Isn't it cool that that's the God that we serve? And how different would our community be if we, as a church, and I mean Life Community Church, and I mean the church, how different would our community be if we welcomed and loved people who were in the middle of life's storms instead of correcting them first, what if every person that came through our door, every person that we interact with, hurting or not, angry or not, bitter, depressed, hard to deal with or not, if we loved them first and then dealt with stuff? Second, how different would our community be? How different would our church be? Let's keep going. Verse 33. When the dis then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. When did the guys in the boat figure out who Jesus was? When the wind stopped. When their storm stopped. That's when they figured out who Jesus was. And see, I think we have this tendency, a lot like the disciples, to want God to fix things, Right? We want God to fix things. We want him to stop the storms in our life. We're dealing with something hard, and our tendency is we expect God to make the storm stop, just like these disciples. And the problem is, storms in life keep coming, don't they? 
How many of you guys have been through more than one storm in life? Yeah, they keep coming. They're going to keep coming. And so if you only recognize God when there's peace in your life, you're missing the point. Jesus is the God of the calm, but he's also the God of the storm. And notice the different experience that the disciples had from the one that Peter had. Peter didn't need the storm to stop. Peter needed to be with Jesus in the storm. And he got to walk on water. The other disciples had to wait in fear and they didn't recognize who Jesus was until their storm stopped. That's not the vibrant, full faith that heals and that helps with depression and anxiety. Right? And so what if, what if Jesus really could make a difference in your mental health? What if you could fear less because of your relationship with Jesus? What if you could worry less What if you weren't bound and held captive to depression and anxiety because of your relationship with Jesus? What I want to do is I want to talk about this. What Peter had tapped into is that he knew Jesus so well that he could trust him. And see, here's something that's really important. Knowing the right answer about trusting Jesus is not the same as trusting Jesus. Christians, churchgoers, hear me. Knowing that you should trust Jesus, saying I know the answer is to trust Jesus is not the same as trusting him when you're failing, trusting him when the storm comes, trusting him when you're sinking. There's a difference. So let's talk about who Jesus is because if you knew Jesus better, I wonder if you would expect him to come to you out on the lake or would you be surprised like the disciples were? Would you call out to him and want to walk above the waves like Peter did? Or would you hide in the boat like fear, with fear? Would you cry out to him when you're sinking, or would you start swimming back to the things that you normally do? I, I suggest that if you knew Jesus better, we'd be more like Peter, right? And so here's what I want to do. Jesus' purpose was more than what we usually give him credit for. He did come to make sure that you don't have to go to hell. Put that on the table. That's the biggest deal, right? Jesus came to make sure that sinners could be right with God and spend eternity in heaven. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's where you need to start. But that is not the only reason Jesus came. When he, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus actually says why he came. He's reading this scroll in the synagogue, and he says, this is why I'm here. This is being fulfilled in your midst. And we're going to read what he read in Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now Jesus quoted this scripture whenever he got a chance to say, this is what I'm here for. He said, I'm here for the poor. Think about the storms in your life. How many of them have to do with money, right? The poor and downtrodden in society are often marginalized and pushed away, right? And Jesus said, I've come to give those people hope, right? And then when he says, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. When I think of a broken heart, I think of a sad heart. I think of somebody who has had something ripped from them, something that hurts, something that might cause depression, something that might cause them to spiral downward into darkness. And he said, I came to make that feel better. I came to bind that up. And for the captives, right? He said, I came to proclaim freedom for the captives. And see, the thing is, I'm sure that in a spiritual sense, he was talking about the captivity to sin, right? He's delivering us from that captivity. But it's also true that aren't we captive to our thoughts? Aren't we captive to our fears, to our anxiety, to the what ifs or the how bad in our minds and the pain? And see, without Jesus, we stay captive. And release from darkness for the prisoners. Now this is, again, this is a whole other message, but you guys have to know, we have an enemy. And Satan would love 
for you to stay in a prison of darkness. And Jesus came so that you wouldn't. Jesus came to fling open the doors of the prison and say, let's have some light in here. Take a step out into the light, out of the darkness. Without Jesus, we'd still be in the darkness. Because you're not going to be free without the one who provides freedom. You're not going to be free from anxiety and depression. And listen, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor, right? There's a lot of things that I'm not qualified to talk about, and there are a lot of things out in the world that can help with anxiety, depression, fear, mental health issues. But it's also true that you're never going to be truly free without the one who provides freedom, and that's Jesus Christ. So I can imagine at this point, if you're, if you're visiting, uh, especially if you came to Christmas and we said, hey, we want you to come back for a series where we give you some, some tools on dealing with real life problems, and you're going, you're telling me I came to church for you to tell me that Jesus is the answer? Duh, right? Kind of expected that, right? And listen, I believe it's true. I believe it's 100% true that Jesus is the answer. But I also know that it might be a hard ask to ask somebody to just jump into trusting Jesus in the midst of life's storms. And so what I want to do is I want to ask this question, what does it look like then for us to trust Jesus? What are some actual tools or steps that might take me from where I'm at now to somewhere healthier? And even if you don't know Jesus, even if you'd say, look, I'm not sure about all of this, we're going to talk about some things real quick right now that are just practical. And some of these things you can put to use, and I would encourage you to, they're going to make a difference. But I would bet that you guys have probably Googled at some point some self-help things. There's a lot of ideas out there, and maybe you've tried things like meditation, right? Jesus says to meditate, Russell Brand says to meditate, like everybody says to meditate. That's probably good for you, right? Replacing lies with truth positive affirmation, these are all good things, and yet my guess is they haven't always been satisfying and working the way that they should because you realize that there's something underneath that. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to start with this truth. Wholeness is inseparable from healing. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. We need to be well. We need to be fixed But ultimately, you're never going to be completely fixed without being completely whole. You need to be whole. I'm going to tell you guys a story. I have this friend. Um, She's a mother. She's got uh, three little kids, and she homeschools. And um, she was living in a hard marriage. I don't want you to raise your hand, right? But you guys can probably identify with what a hard marriage is like because either you're living in one or you know somebody who does or somebody who has. And the day-to-day struggle of being uh, committed to and doing life with somebody that you don't like or that's mean to you or that's hard to be around, that's not loving, can be a burden, right? And you know what? My friend, to cope with it, what she would do is she would isolate herself. She didn't really want to make deep friendships with other people because then they would know, right? And she didn't really want to deal with the problem herself, and so she would ignore it and pretend like everything was okay. She'd put on a good face when she'd come to church, and basically, she pretended like it wasn't a problem, and she didn't let anybody close enough to her to find out that it really was. And then her husband convinced her to move out of state, away from her family, away from her support. And within six months, he left her in a different state, a homeschool mom with no career path, trying to figure out rent for three little kids all by herself. And she hit rock bottom. And you can imagine what that kind of rock bottom feels like. Some of you guys have been there. Depressed, angry at God, at people, no support system, Let me tell you, she's better now. (laughs) She's doing really good now. And I had a chance this week to ask, what took you from that rock bottom place of just being hopeless to now? You seem okay now. What was the difference? And the difference, she was able to rattle off these things really quickly, but they all had to do with wholeness as much as they had to do with healing. These are the things that she said made a difference for her. 
The first one was solid community. And what she meant by that is she couldn't isolate herself anymore. She needed to be around other people even if she was hurting or while she was hurting. She needed to be around people who would say to her, it's okay to cry. It's not okay to cry alone, right? She needed to be around people who just said, I just want to be with you in the pain. Now listen, that's not a Jesus thing, right? If, you, if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I can believe in Jesus, you know what you can do is you can get around some people who love you, right? That's a tactic, that's a tool. Another one that she said was, I had to learn to be vulnerable. And what she meant was she had to learn to be able to say the things that she was dealing with out loud. And being vulnerable actually gave voice to the things inside of her head and made them more real so that she could deal with them. She put words to it, but what it did that she didn't realize that it was going to do was is it allowed a lot of me too moments that she was not expecting. Where she would say, I'm really struggling because I feel lonely without my husband. And somebody would go, my husband left too. My husband just left. And she'd go, well, here's what I've learned, <laughs> right? And in her pain, she had a chance to share and minister with other people, which was a source of healing for her, right? And so those me too moments, that was something she didn't expect, but that she got whenever she was vulnerable and she opened up to other people. It opened doors for her. Here's another one. She had to let people pray with her. And what she didn't say was, I had to let people pray for me. I had to let people pray with me. And listen, if you don't, again, if you're here and you don't trust Jesus, you don't, you don't think that you think this is all weird. James 5.16 says that the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes a lot. And right before that, it says that if we'll pray for one another, we can be healed. You might not believe in a God that answers prayers, but the person praying for you might. And then the last one was this. She said she had to spend time in the Word. She had to get into the Bible. And that one's a little harder to do if you don't believe in Jesus, right? But the reality is that the Bible is chock full of truth and that you're not going to be able to combat lies without truth. And the truth that she discovered in the Bible was truth about who God is, the things that Peter had figured out. That in my pain, God is a God that would rescue me. When I fail, God is a God that would pick me up out of the water. And learning God's character made all the difference for her. But you know what else she found out whenever she was reading the Bible? She found out who she was. Because the Bible is chock full of truths about you. That you're chosen, that you're wanted, that you're special, that you're redeemed. There's all sorts of things in there that the Bible says about us that we can say, when I feel something coming on that's a lie, I can combat it with truth, but you've got to know the truth. All right, so here's the deal. A lot of these things could be super useful even without, without church, without Jesus. But all of that good community is made even better with the lifeblood of what true community is, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Really good community is going to bring you to the God that made you and the God that can heal you. And so we would love for you guys to connect in good community, connect with the church, but there's got to be a purpose, right? And here's, here's the thing. My guess is at some point, some of you guys have been sold a line of goods that goes something like this, that Jesus can fix your problems and you were expecting it to be a quick fix. And then when it wasn't, that hurt more. And the reality is that becoming whole and healing is a process. And it gets more valuable as time goes on. Now, I do believe that Jesus can miraculously, momentarily heal somebody of depression, of anxiety, of worry. I've seen it. I believe it. But more regularly, what I've experienced is that it's small miracles. It's small victories that add up over time. It's a process of becoming whole, like an investment. And so I'm going to finish this statement. Wholeness is inseparable from healing, and you will never be whole without a connection to God and his people. Imagine that you're a, you're a watch, and there's a watchmaker who has designed all of the parts and pieces that make you run well. 
One of the little gears in there is your relationship with God. And you are not ever going to run well without a vibrant, trusting relationship with the guy who created you. And another one is your relationship with his people. The way that God has chosen to work in our lives is often through his people. And so if you don't have an engaging relationship with his people, you may not run well either. All right, so here's the deal. Church is a place where you can be encouraged to grow in your relationship with God. And then Tim told me this really funny quote, uh, fun quote that I wish I, I knew who actually said it, but it's Tim. Tim said it. <laughs> when church is doing community right, nobody does community like the church. Right? When, when, it, when we're doing it right, when we're spending time in each other's lives, when we're pouring into each other, when we're praying with each other, when we're carrying each other's burdens, like Galatians 6.2 says, and when we're bringing each other closer to the foot of Jesus every time we're together, nobody does community better than the church. And community is one of the easiest paths to healing mental health. So here, here's some action steps. Here's some things you can do. Maybe you're here and you never have put your faith in Jesus, and you need to. You need to begin today by trusting the one who would come to you in your trouble, who would come out on the lake in your storm. Maybe you need to know, go from knowing to doing. Maybe everybody in the room is like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to trust Jesus. How are you doing at trusting Jesus? And actually practice trusting him. Make a point to get to know a trustworthy God and get into the Bible. Or maybe you think you've got those things figured out but you're not very well connected to God's people and there's still something missing in your life and you need to really connect with the church. You need to come to services more than once every six weeks, right? And worship with God's people. Maybe you need to come and serve at the church. You'd be surprised how quickly you make a connection with other people when you're serving alongside them. Maybe you need to join a life group, which we have starting up in a couple weeks, designed specifically to fill this need. Maybe you need to get in a discipleship or a mentorship relationship with somebody who's just further along. Find somebody who has had victory over some things that you're struggling with. Maybe you need to get into a counseling session or two and get some things straightened out and let God's people help. All right, I'm gonna pray over you guys really quick and then I'm gonna let you go. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are thankful. Jesus, we are thankful that you come out in the midst of the storm to meet us on the water. We're thankful that you call us out of the boat and that you give us a chance to experience life storms with you. We're also thankful that when we fail, you want to pick us up. And so I just, I pray for my friends here that we would all lean into our relationship with you and experience more wholeness so that we could be more healed. And one of the ways that I, I hope that we will all do that, and I pray for your spirit to encourage us to engage more in church and in the community of your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.